Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Have you ever had a question that you want a real answer to, but it never seems to happen? Have you ever had a question that seems controversial? Have you ever had a question that you've been too afraid to ask? Join Valley Point Church as we tackle some frequently asked questions. We're going to attempt to answer some of the questions that you and others may have about God, the Bible, church, or just life in general. You ask it, we'll give it a shot. We have a dream here of pointing people to real relationships that inspire real significance. We want people to have a real relationship with God and with the people around them. And we also want people to engage in doing significant things with their lives. This one life that God has given to us. And I'm really encouraged because this morning, right now, we have seven people in Smolensk, Russia that are Valley Point attenders that left on Friday and traveled many, many miles so that they could go and serve and love in that big country. And throughout the week, they're going to be building onto a feeding center so that they can have more storage and have the ability with that new storage to feed even more orphans than what they could do before. And so they're going to be doing great work throughout this week, significant work, and I'm really, really encouraged with that brave step of faith that many of them took to just say, we're going to go, we're going to give up a week and some resources so that we can do this significant thing. So here's what I want for you and for all of us. I want you to join me in praying for them throughout the week, okay, that God would keep them safe. They've arrived already, and so we're grateful for that, but they have many things they're going to be doing throughout the week, and we want them to be safe We also want them to be successful with the mission that they have been asked to do in the building of this storage area, that they would be able to accomplish it by the time that they leave so that they can return here and talk to us about what they were involved in while they were there. So will you help me in doing that? You guys will pray for them? Join me in doing that? Great. And they're going to be there all week, and they'll be back, and again, we'll get the chance to hear about the different things that they were involved in. While you're praying for them, consider how God wants you to be engaged in real relationships and real significance. All right, so today we wrap up this FAQ series. And if you're here for the very first time today, we've been on a three-week journey of answering questions that were submitted by people here at Valley Point. And I've been attempting to give the best answer that I can based on what God says in Scripture. And so today we wrap up this series And I'm going to be answering five different questions. And we're going to begin with this. When you put your faith in God to give you direction, how do you know that you are doing what he wants? How do you know what path to take to serve God the best that you can? I love this question. And I get it quite a bit. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know and discover the will of God for my life? And how do I know what career path to take? How do I know what God wants me to do? It could be kind of a frustrating question because it would be really nice if God would just write on a wall and say, here's what I want you to do. 
Or if he would call and say, all right, I want you to take your stuff and I want you to move it over there and you begin to do things over there and here's what I want you to do and I promise you success and it's all going to work out and it's going to be wonderful. It would be great if God did that. If he wrote on a wall or called us to say, hey, just go over there and do that. But God doesn't do that. And so back to the question, how do you know? How do you know what God wants you to do with your life? How can you best serve him and how do you figure that out? This is a great question. If you're a student in 6th through 12th grade or even in college, I'd encourage you to lean in for a bit right here because you have a lot of life in front of you, which means you have a lot of choices to make and you want God to be involved in those choices. And so we're going to talk about that. I'd encourage you to listen to this as you think about what's coming in your life. For the rest of us, if you have a major life decision in front of you, which even if it's not there right now, at some point there will be another one that may involve family or marriage or career or something like that. So if you know that you have this life decision in front of you, then I would encourage you to lean in as well because what I want to share, I believe, will be very helpful. So I'm convinced that having a right heart before God, and this is where we're going to start with this. So if we want to discover what God wants for us, it begins with having a right heart with God. And here's what that means. It means that I've trusted in Jesus alone to save me, and I've embraced his leadership and forgiveness. I'm confessing my sin to him. There's nothing between my relationship with God. There's nothing blocking the way. All right, so there's that piece. I'm right with God, and if I'm right with people, like I'm forgiving when people come to me and I'm seeking forgiveness when I wrong others, and we're not perfect humans, obviously, but when we're chasing right relationships with other people, I think God uses all of this to help us understand what he wants. So I've got a right relationship with God, and I've got a right relationship with other people. If that's you, then do what you want to do. Get up and do what you like. Get up and do what you're good at, and I think God's going to be very, very happy with your choice. See, doing what God wants us to do is more about our heart and understanding who owns me than anything else. It's really not about the particulars. It's more about my heart and what is happening in my heart, in my friendship with God, and in my relationships with other people. And do I have a good understanding of who owns me? It's really more about that than anything else. I believe that you can be as close to the heart of God serving macaroni and cheese or managing a company or volunteering or coaching or teaching or being a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom as you can going to Russia or going to any other part of the world. Or, again, being a person who closes deals. I think you can be as close to the heart of God doing any of that as anything else if our heart is where it should be and our relationships with people are right. I think we discover this in Romans chapter 12. And if you're the right you before God and before others, then do what you want to do, and I think you will be doing exactly what God wants for you. So here's what we find in Romans chapter 12. A couple of verses here that are fascinating. Verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I'm going to pause there and say this is the ownership piece. It's me understanding and getting that God owns me. And here it's clear that we should give our bodies up to God as a living and as a pleasing sacrifice because of what God has already done for us. And so God owns me and he's looking for me to give myself back to him, right? This is the way to truly worship him. Here's the second part. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform or change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, right? So after all of that, here, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So discovering God's will, discovering the path that God wants for me, discovering the job that God has, or whatever that question might be in front of you, it begins with ownership. Do I have a good grasp on the fact that God owns me? And am I living that out in my life? And then secondly, am I adding right thinking to that? And if that's the case, again, do what you want to do. Do what you're good at. And I think God will use all of that. So the best path for finding God's will, ownership, And right thinking, right with God and right with people, and then go have a ball and do whatever it is that you want to do. God's going to be happy with that, okay? Question number two. Why does God allow Satan to do what he does? You think about what's happening in our world, even right now, and some of the craziness this past week. I think often we begin to wonder, why doesn't God take care of some of this? Why does God allow so much of this pain and endless death? Why doesn't God just take care of the one who is controlling and manipulating and operating some of this? Why doesn't God just take Satan out? Well, we actually get a great story in Scripture found in Job chapter 1 where Satan actually comes before God and he talks about doing what he does. So here's Job chapter 1. Verse 6, one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, well, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all of the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God, and he stays away from evil. It's a great description of somebody there. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. 
So Satan left the Lord's presence. Great picture here of what happens in a world that we cannot see. The rest of the book of Job goes to outline how some terrible things happened to Job and he lost just about everything and he had friends come to him and say, you know what, you should just curse God and die because God's bailed on you. God doesn't care about you. God's not interested in you or he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. And the beauty of the story is Job makes a great choice to not do that. He chooses to trust in God's work in his life, even though it's very painful. And in the closing chapters, we find God restoring Job and all of his wealth and all of the things that he had, even beyond where he was at before. But I read this story because there's two things that really come out of it. Number one is Satan has limited power. You really see that here. He's coming before God to get permission to do something. So he's powerful. He has abilities. And he is a strong person. But yet his power is limited. That's one of the things we discover. The other thing we discover, which is really good news for us, is that God is not limited in power. And he has authority over everything and everyone including Satan, so much so that Satan has to get permission from God to do something. So Satan, limited in power, God over here, not limited at all. He's over everything and everyone, which brings us to the question, why doesn't God just destroy Satan then? The answer is, he simply has not chosen to do that at this time. There is a time coming, and Scripture talks about how God will bind Satan and throw him in the lake of fire, and there he will remain forever, and he will not be able to torment anyone ever again. But that time has not yet come. So I ask myself the question, why not? Because it seems like it would be a really good idea if he did that right now. Right? Well, I don't know the answer to that other than it's just not part of God's plan and God's timing right now. And we actually, in Scripture, find a couple of verses that speak to how God thinks, how his mind operates, and how we're not going to get it. And so occasionally we have to step back and say, God is doing whatever it is that he's doing, and he is over everything, and he is over everyone, even though it might not appear that way. We find these verses in Isaiah chapter 55. Here's God talking. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so we trust and we have confidence that God is over everyone including Satan, even though it might not look like it. And even though we wonder why, we step back and say, God's thoughts are above my thoughts. I will trust and I will have confidence in him, even if and when it doesn't make sense to me. Okay? Question number three. What does the book of Revelation mean by the bride of Christ? So when you walk through different chapters... In the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, you discover there, there are some references to the church, which would be us, being called the bride of Christ, which seems like kind of a strange thing. But this picture 
is true that Christ is the bridegroom and he has lovingly chosen the church. In other words, he's lovingly chosen us to be the bride. And we see this in the book of Revelation. We also have got a great paragraph in Ephesians chapter 5 that gives us this picture. And so I want to read this to you. Verse 25. Here's the picture. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. And here's the next picture. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. So this is just a great paragraph that gives us a picture of how much Jesus actually cares about us, the bride. So here's a few thoughts that we discover in Ephesians chapter 5. Thought number one tells us that we are beautiful. We are. So if you don't get anything else out of today, you can walk out saying, I'm I'm a beautiful person. And we know that's true because we're told that in Scripture, we are the bride of Christ. And here's what we know about all brides, every single one of them. Brides are beautiful and brides are captivating. And so God calls us the bride of Christ which means we're beautiful and we're captivating to him. And that's a great thought. And maybe you've never heard that before or never understood that. Just know you can walk out of here today knowing if you've trusted in Christ alone to save you and you're part of the greater church, then you are beautiful to God and you are captivating. I've had the chance to perform a lot of weddings as a pastor And one of the things that I enjoy the most about weddings is standing next to the groom on the stage and watching him as he looks for his bride to appear. And when the doors open and the angels of heaven begin to assemble and sing and there's bright lights and crazy things happening, to watch him look at his bride and in his mind there's a, wow, look at her. We get to spend our life together, and she is beautiful. And all brides are beautiful. All brides are captivating. I've never been on a stage in 20 years of doing weddings where the groom has looked at me when his bride appeared and said, oh, she really looks terrible today, doesn't she? (laughs) Like, that has never happened. It never has. And if it did, I'm not sure what I would do with that. It might be, dude, you got to figure this out. We've only got a few seconds here. But it's never happened, and it doesn't happen because all brides are beautiful and all brides are captivating. And here we find in Scripture that we are called the bride of Christ. Kind of a big deal. You're important and you're valuable. You're beautiful. You're captivating. And here's the other thought that comes out of this, and that is there's nothing that Jesus wouldn't do for us. There's nothing he wouldn't do for us because we're his bride 
and you defend. You stick up for your bride. That's what you do. The next event on the Bible calendar is the return of Christ for his bride. Someday he's going to return for us and take us to live with him. And when that happens, it's going to be an amazing event where the bride is reunited with the bridegroom. And so we watch for that day with great anticipation. And until then, we remain loyal to the bridegroom, the bride of Christ. It's a beautiful picture of how much God cares about us, how he views us, and what he will do for us. So walk out and be encouraged because we're the bride of Christ. Okay? Does that make sense? It's good news. All right, question number four. Why are there no women in leadership positions at Valley Point? When we started this series, I said, ask anything you want, and we'll give it a shot. So I'm going to answer this question. And in order to do that, I actually want to talk about leadership for a moment because that really sets the stage and paves the way and gives us a foundation for this discussion about leadership. So I believe leadership can be defined this way. Leadership is influence, pure and simple. Leadership is influence. And if you have the ability to influence one person or a group of people, no matter how small that may be or how large, then you are a leader because you're impacting and you are influencing other individuals. And this is how we define leadership here at Valley Point. It's interesting because in the last century, this whole idea and this whole concept of leadership really in the world has begun to change. And it's moved away from being about a position or a title to, again, a person who has influence and a person who acts. So it's less about positions and titles and more, again, about the ability to influence people. And if you have that ability, then you are a leader, no matter what title you may or may not have. When you think about the person of Jesus, it's very interesting because he was here on earth and really didn't have a title at all. He did get a title. It was the king of the Jews that they put on the cross as a way to mock him and make fun of him because he looked like he didn't have the ability to save himself. And so that was a title given to him in mockery. But he really didn't have a title. But there is no doubt historically that Jesus influenced millions, if not billions of people. At the time he was here on earth, he did that. But even many, many years after his death, that influence continues to us today. So Jesus, no title, no big position, but he came to develop people. He came to serve with humility, and in doing that, he influenced Many. And so this is how we define leadership here at Valley Point. With that concept in mind, by the way, I personally believe titles and positions are fairly meaningless, especially in a volunteer environment. And the church is one of the most volunteer-intensive environments that exist in the world. It takes a lot of volunteers to do this. So in a volunteer world, titles are fairly meaningless. It's more about influence and activity and the ability to develop others. So with that concept in mind, with that definition as the foundation, here at Valley Point, we have many women 
who lead and influence. Some with titles, some without, but all lead, and they're developing others, and they're having great impact. Now, it's true, we have a male lead pastor, that's me, and we have a male elder team, and that's our best understanding of Scripture as outlined in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. But we invite and we encourage and we ask women to lead. And we would not, could not, should not, sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing going on here, but we would not, could not, should not operate as a church without the high impact and women leading in effective ways. It just should not happen. We would not be an effective church without the leadership of women. So practically speaking, let me just share some different areas with you where this is really benefiting the church and our community, and we see women leading. Our assimilation system is completely led by a woman, Jean White, and she is doing a fantastic job. And she's over our whole guest experience. And our guests are not just those who come for the very first time. It's those of us who have been here for a long time. We want every guest who walks through the doors to have a great experience, whether it's the first time or the 100th time or beyond. And Jean White crafts this. She's over that, and she leads that. And many of you are here because of how you were greeted and treated. You felt good, like this was a place you could belong and you felt accepted. That is all the direct result of a woman leading in that area. We've got another system called our evangelism system, our love day system, and that's led by two different women, Nancy Gifford and Rachel Teal, and they organize all of that. And our love days impact hundreds of people in our church, and certainly they impact hundreds of people outside of our church, and that's completely led and set up by them. By the way, these two systems are the strongest systems that we have in our church. So we do other things. We have other systems that we engage in. But these two are these two strongest systems that we have without question. And when I talk to people about what makes Valley Point unique, what makes you different, and why come to this church as opposed to any other church that I can go to, the two things that I talk about are our assimilation efforts and how you will be treated when you walk in the door. And then I also talk about our love days. And these are things that make us unique. And I feel we're growing in these areas, and we're not perfect, but we're getting better, and we're finding new and new ways to make the guest experience wonderful, and new and new ways to serve and love on our community. And again, those efforts are entirely led by Gene White and Nancy Gifford and Rachel Teal, and they're doing a wonderful job. Two of our campaign teams for our upcoming project to have a permanent home on our Bethel Row campus are being led by women, Carla Simone and Sherry Kelly, and already they're leading in effective ways and putting those teams together that they're working with to help us with that goal and that dream. The largest group ministry that meets outside of Sunday morning. All right, so this is our largest group gathering right here between what happens at 9.15 and here at 11 o'clock. Our largest group gatherings are right here. The largest group gathering that happens outside of Sunday is led by a woman. It's my wife, Tanya Kohler. 
And she has a team of 20 individuals who help steer and guide that individual, uh, guide that ministry. And they are all women, and they're doing a fantastic job. Again, the largest ministry outside of this place. And they're gathering, and they're assembling, and they're leading the largest group outside of this room. And they're seeing some good things happening in there. Recently, one of the spiritual exercises that we walked through was the 15 days of prayer. Does anybody remember that, where we prayed for God's provision? Looks like I'm the only one. A few. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we prayed for God's provision, and for 15 days we were all saying the same thing and lifting up these prayers. And I had a lot of compliments from individuals saying, that was wonderful. I love that because I knew what to pray, and I knew what to say, and I actually got my whole family in on the process. And as a family unit, we were lifting up these prayers to God on behalf of the work that we're pursuing for a permanent home. That whole 15-day prayer journal, which led our church to the throne of God, was put together and written by a woman, Sherry Kelly. And she did an amazing job with that. And that effort helped steer us spiritually in saying, God, this is where we're going. And we need your help with this. And we needed help in how to communicate that and how to say that. And that was all packaged by Sherry. I speak 44 to 46 times a year. And in doing that, I manuscript my talks and I write it all out. And that equals about a 325-page novel every year that I write. So a lot of writing. I love doing that. It's great fun. It's actually relaxing for me. And I love studying and researching and then packaging it all and trying to figure out how to say that to you. I don't do all of that writing on my own. I do the majority of it. But occasionally, I meet with individuals and I say, I need your help with this particular paragraph. It's a tough one. And I'd like for you to research. I want for you to dig into the original language here. And I want you to find context and what's happening historically here so that I know what to say and I can package it in a way that makes sense and we can move the hearts of God's people with God's word. The two individuals that helped me the most with that are my wife, Tanya, and Sherry Kelly. They both have a theological background. They're both gifted writers And I'm able to take that information and then use that to lead our church. So, again, we would not, could not, and should not function without the high level of influence and leadership that women provide on a weekly basis here at Valley Point. And my commitment is to find ways to continue to give voice to and leadership options to women. I know that I have personally benefited from the great leadership of women in my own life spiritually. Been a great benefit to me. And going forward, if we're going to be a prevailing church, and if we're going to have impact in this community and around the world, we're going to need more of that in the future. Okay? Question number five. What Disney character would you say best relates to you? So again, I said, you ask it, we'll give it a shot. And when this question came up, it really wasn't a problem for me to answer this at all because in The Little Mermaid, we have Prince Eric. So it was just not hard. This was not difficult to think about. He's handsome and charming and he saves the day. And as I think about what Disney character I am, I see myself as Prince Eric, don't you think? Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate that. But I asked the staff, like, how do you see me? 
Like, do you see me as Prince Eric, or is there another character? So, actually, they came up with this character from the Lorax. And if you don't buy that one, here's actually a better shot. You know, let's... <laughs> let's pray. For those of you who think I point when I pray, there's your answer. I thought I'd have some more fun with this. And I began to think about other staff members and what characters they might represent. So... I talked to Gus Sareka, our executive pastor. He thinks he's Hercules. There's Gus. Great hair, isn't it? Uh, but here's the deal with Gus. While he sees himself that way, he did just celebrate his 60th birthday, and so this is how I view him. <laughs> no offense to anybody who's 60 or over, but uh, that's Gus. And perhaps my favorite, though, is what character I view Austin as. So, (laughs) The scarecrow's like, there's a lot going on here. All right, so seriously, I want to wrap up our FAQ series by giving you a challenge. And that challenge is for you to take the different questions and the different frustrations that you have, and run them through the grid of Scripture and seek to find your own answers right here. I believe if you spend time digging and searching and sweating it out, because it always isn't that easy to find. Often it's challenging, but if we dig in, God meets us right here. He does. And when God meets us with His words, we're changed forever. And we have an answer to whatever it is that we might be dealing with. There are solutions here. There are principles that speak to absolutely every issue in life. I'm convinced of that. We just have to search. And we've got to dig. And we've got to find that. You know, God's word is living and powerful. And it helps us to know what's right, to get right, and to stay right. But we've got to dig and we've got to search. So this isn't just for me to do. Okay? This is for all of Valley Point Church. And when you've got something rolling around in your mind that you might think is totally unrelated to God and His Word, it's not. It's not at all. And you can find an answer there. And when you dig and search, that will forever mark you and change you. And you'll be stronger because of it. And your faith will be deeper in a God who provides solutions. And so I want to invite you, even though we're ending this series and we won't be looking at questions for a little bit, I want to encourage you, still engage, still dive in, still investigate what you find right here, knowing that it will provide hope for living and solutions for the challenges that we face. God, we are so thankful for our day and our time to look into your word and discover what it has to say to us. God, I just pray that you would use these words and these thoughts to... Give us this deep desire to dig into your word and to find solutions there. God, I know for me, often when something troubles me or when I've got something I can't figure out, often I worry. It's a lot of that. And there's a lot of strategizing on my own, trying to figure out a plan and what to do and what to say. It's a lot of that happening. And then often it's after that that I begin to think about what God might want to say to me in his words. And God, I want to reverse that. I want to change that because I need to be a better student of your word. And I think all of us here do as well. You've given us 
your letter for life. These are your words. You've breathed them out, every single one of them. And there's hope. And there are solutions that are found here that help us to be very willing to do the work and search and dig, knowing that it will change and mark us. God, we pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.